to the worship team, and thank you for being here today. It's great to see you. We thank the Lord for his blessing on our church and uh, on our lives this week. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 20. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 20, if you will, as we continue on in our study of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. These last few weeks, we've been looking at difficult conversations, teachings that Jesus had uh, on his way to the cross, on his way to the final week of his life. And some of these things are challenging, difficult to, to, to study, to think through, stuff about marriage, about divorce, things about uh, other related topics that sometimes we have trouble with. And today's parable that Jesus is going to give, one of the final parables that he's going to give in his teaching ministry is really just that again. It's kind of complicated. And if you've ever read through it, you, you just kind of look at it and you're like, well, I kind of understand. I understand why this parable sounds like it does. I understand why the people in the parable reacted like they did. And I think sometimes we dislodge this parable from its context and we misunderstand the entire thing. And I, I pray that God will use this to help us with a very, very, very perplexing question that we're going to seek to answer this morning, okay? With that thought in mind, uh, we're going to read the text, Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse number 1, if you will. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them out into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour. Now, I'm not going to explain this again, but basically the Jewish workday started at 6 o'clock. And then when they keep saying these third hours, six hours, you just add that to 6 a.m. and you know where we are in the day. So the third hour is 9 a.m., okay? So he started these workers out very early in the morning. He looks out and realizes there's more work that needs to be done. So three hours later at 9 o'clock, he's going to go out and he's going to hire some more workers for the field, okay? Everybody good? So he says, he went out at the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And, and about the eleventh hour, he went and did or went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. Now verse 8, so when evening had come, we're now at the close of the Jewish work day, this is now 6 p.m., that 11th hour was 5 p.m., so 5 p.m., another group of workers comes in, they work for one hour, now it's 6 o'clock, evening time, the work day is over, and now the, 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 the owner of the field is going to call everybody back in, watch this, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, call the laborers. And give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Watch this now. And when those who came, uh, came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, 
These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Now, some of you by this time are thinking to yourselves, I get it. I get it. I understand why they were frustrated. That makes sense. Okay, but read on. Verse 14, take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give you to this last man is the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do with what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called but few are chosen. Amen. Here's the question. Is God fair? Is God fair? I uh, love drinking coffee, okay? I probably drink far more than I should. I don't even know what the should is, and I don't intend to find out. This morning, by the time I came to our meet and greet with new uh, members and folks have been visiting recently, I, I'm sure I'd already had at least before I, I got here. And then, of course, I just can't help myself. There was a coffee pot and there were these amazing pods for the Keurig. And so I just juiced up again, okay, and got some more. I drink a lot. I love Starbucks, okay. I know there's some debate out there as far as what's the best coffee place, and I'm sure we could debate it. Uh, but uh, I, I just recently was able to go to the actual Starbucks roastery in Seattle where every bean of Starbucks coffee is roasted. It was an amazing experience. And uh, so I drink a lot of Starbucks here, drink it at the house. And, and, uh, and so I, I was surprised because of my love for Starbucks to see something I saw recently at Starbucks. I, I just got off the boat and we were, we were driving back up San Jose Boulevard up uh, to 295 getting ready to head home. And we stopped at the Starbucks right there on San Jose, and <clears throat> I pulled in, and I saw these teenagers, you know, college-age people standing around with signs. It was like a picket line. I thought this was, I thought it was a joke. And, and so I, I pulled the car in the driveway or the parking space and got out, and, the, you know, the kid kind of like, like almost blocked me and said, you, you know, it's, you know, it's, you can't go in there. And I'm thinking... You little twerp, why don't you get out of my way? It's kind of, that's kind of the first thing I was thinking, actually. But I, I, I just, you know, I didn't want to make a scene. I just said, sure, whatever. I, I just said, hey, is the drive-thru open? Yeah, drive through open. So, they, so I'm driving through Starbucks over on San Jose Boulevard. This made the news, by the way. Uh, not me, but them. I, I, <laughs> I drive through this, and, and they're, they're, I'm trying to order coffee, and they're yelling in their megaphone. They, they created, you know, one of these chants, like something about human rights and dignity dignity and pay and and I'm I just cannot believe this is happening. I pull up to the window and 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 the lady, you know, served the coffee and took my card and and I said, "What's going on out here?" and she just rolled her eyes. And and I started thinking about this because I had heard before that Starbucks is actually known as an actual pretty decent place to work in terms of how much they pay their employees, the benefits that they offer to their employees. They offer full medical, dental, vision, you can actually, if you've been employed over a certain amount of time, you can actually get a 100% full ride scholarship to Arizona State University to be paid to go to college. And I'm sitting here going, well, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. Here these kids are complaining about minimum wage, kind of like the same kids that think you're supposed to make $25 an hour at McDonald's just because you actually woke up today. 
it is a cry of our country right now for what we would call fairness. Now, there's a huge debate out there about what this means, what it looks like. For instance, what about the real hot debate right now about was it fair or is it fair to dismiss student loans at large for everybody? I saw an interview just this past week with uh, Nancy Pelosi and a steel worker from Pennsylvania, and boy, they got into it uh, in a Q&A, and he basically said, are you going to pay me back for the tuition that I sacrificed and paid for my daughter and didn't go into debt for, my, for her student bill? And of course, there was an exchange that took place, and I thought to myself, you know, I get that. Do you not get that? Do you not understand that if somebody worked real hard and paid for their own education out of their own pocket? Dads work double shifts, students uh, work through high school, pile up a bunch of money, pay for their own school, only to see everybody else who was so negligent that they didn't do that, and they piled up an enormous amount of debt, and all of a sudden uh, that, forgive, that debt gets forgiven, and yet I don't get paid back for the hard work that I put in. I'm not here to comment necessarily on I'm here to say I kind of understand the frustration with fairness. And of course, I'm also a parent. So these accusations are hurled through the halls of our home repeatedly. Like, hey, she got more whipped cream on her strawberries than I did. Or, hey, dad, you took Adriana on the last trip. I should go on this trip. Or any other things that happen on a scale of children looking at each other, comparing themselves, looking at mom and dad, and crying out for fairness. In fact, I, I studied a, 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 a research article that was put out recently by the University of California at Los Angeles. Very fascinating. The whole subject of the study was about fairness and how it triggers our brains and actually how fairness is actually wired into the DNA of humanity. And so they brought college students in from the University of California at Los Angeles and they set them down, two students. And the two students were offered a division of a $10 bill as an example. And when they divided the $10 bill, $5 and $5, every student, obviously, every time grabbed it, took it, and they were, the, the mental study showed that they were satisfied, like that was fair, this is good. But then as the study went on, they raised the stakes and they brought out a $20 bill. And then they give $5 to one and $15 to the other, and all of a sudden, kids started refusing the offer. Now, mind you, they brought nothing to the table. They just were offered $5 compared to $15 to the other student, and their mind triggered and said, wait a second, that's not fair. But was it really fair? I mean, if I sat here and decided I've got $20, I'm five and you 15 really, there's nothing unfair about that. It's my money. I can do with whatever I want to do with it. And what they were showing in the study was that fairness is actually built into the human mind and the human heart. That a cry for fairness or a cry for justice, we might say, is actually part of who we are. And that's where we all come into play today. This idea of fairness is born out of a heart of expectation. And it's illustrated in this text. In fact, when you look at this text and you back up to chapter 19 where this story is born out of, in fact, let's just back up and look at verse 23. Uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly I say unto you, it's hard 
hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now remember, we just studied the parable of the, or excuse me, the story of the rich young ruler. Now, this takes place right after the story of the rich young ruler. Remember, he, Jesus tells him, go sell everything that you have. He was sorrowful because he had many possessions, and he goes away. Now, Jesus leaves that meeting, and Jesus goes and gathers his disciples together and makes this bold statement. It's really hard for rich people to go to heaven. Now, you say, does that mean that like, there's something really strange about rich people? Of course not. What it means is this. Oftentimes... People who are wealthy, people who have all their life put together, sometimes don't see their need for God. And so it's hard when a person is in a position where they don't need anything to recognize that they need God. So that's what Jesus said. Now look at what goes on that happens here. Look at, look at verse 25. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished and said, who then can be saved? Now that's a great question. Who actually can be saved? Look at the answer here. Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And i got to say, that's a great statement. You cannot save yourself, only Jesus can save you. Now, look at Peter, I love this. We all love Peter, don't we? Here he goes again. Peter highlight reel, number 27, here it is. Then Peter answered and said to him, see... We have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? Now look at what Jesus says. Assuredly I say to you that in this generation when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. You know what? You know what God just said to Peter? Listen very carefully. He said, Peter, I know you're following me and here's what you can bank on. You can bank on this. If you're a disciple of Christ, I will bless you in this life and I will give you eternal life when this life is over. And all of us here that are disciples can say, Amen to that. Amen to that. But then notice this last little sentence here. Watch this. But many who are first will be last and the last first. He was capturing something in Peter's mind. He was setting the table for grace. Peter's mind went where sometimes our mind goes. The reason the question, is God fair, is an important question is because it's a gospel issue, folks. If you think that because I love God or I follow God or I'm a Christian, that means that there should always be associated with that blessings and comfort and ease of life. And that you should always be receiving something because of how much you follow God. Then you do not understand grace the way that God wants you to understand grace. Folks, listen, I didn't get saved because of anything I did. I'm only saved because of what Christ has done for me. And and not only did I not get saved by myself, I don't keep myself. I am not blessed through what I do. Does anybody listen to me today? What I'm trying to tell you is this. Everything that is good in me is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Everything that I have is because of grace. The fact that I'm saved. The fact that I'm here. The fact that I'm blessed. The fact that I have health. The fact that I have everything that I have has nothing to do with anything that I've ever done. So when Peter asks that question, Jesus is going to be careful to point out to the fact you're asking the wrong 
question, Peter. Here's what you're going to find out, he says. You're going to find out, yes, I give eternal life to everybody that follows me. Yes, I bless them a hundredfold in this life more than you could ever know. But I want you to know that blessing is not because of you. The blessing is because of me. And then he makes this bold statement. The last will be first and the first will be last. And you want to know what that statement really means? I've been chewing on this all week. And when it finally hit me, I am telling you what, I couldn't wait to share it with you. What does it actually mean? What is he saying? He's saying, Peter, of course I'm going to bless you. Of course I'm going to give you eternal life. But my grace is not for those people who have it all together. It's not for those people that follow me and are the best disciples. It's not those people that have sacrificed the most. You're going to find out, Peter, that my table of grace is really big. And there's a whole lot of people that are going to sit there. People that you might not even ever imagine would be. So is God fair? Here you go. No. No. It's not fair that a sinless Savior died for somebody sinful like me. It's not fair that on a cross... Jesus was pierced there and bled out for sins that he never committed. It's not, come on, it's not fair that I stand here today justified, meaning all of my sins have been attributed to the sacrifice of Christ and all of his righteousness has been attributed to me. I didn't do one thing to earn that. That's not fair. It's not fair that I'm a son of God. It's not fair that I'm going to heaven. It's not fair of all the blessings and the goodness that he's done. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. No, God's not fair. And I want to say to you this morning, I'm glad God's not fair. Now, when you experience things in your life, and you will, like these disciples did, like the trouble that they would face, like the difficulty that they would face, like in your life when you are faced with this question, This isn't fair, or this statement, or this experience. This isn't fair. Why is God not fair? You need to go to this parable, and you need to remind yourself of two things that Jesus told these disciples. When they did not think God was fair, when these workers did not think God was fair, God is going to bring them back to two realities that everybody needs to know. Number one, when we do not think God is fair, we need to first of all rest in what we know. Rest in what we know. This is in verses 1 through 7. Now, I want to point out one thing to you that just thrills me about this story that you can hang your hat on this morning. Watch it now. Verse number 20, or verse number 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, watch this. When they had agreed for one denarius for one day's of work. Think about this. It was on the table. They knew. They knew what they were getting. The terms were clear. But then watch this. Watch the next phrase. It says this in verse 3. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go also to the vineyard. Now look at this phrase. Some of you better mark this down in your Bible. Whatever is right, I will give it to you. And then look down at verse number 7 at the very end of the verse. Whatever is right. 
you will receive. Now watch this. In between those two statements, this servant went out four times. He went out at 9 o'clock in the morning. He went out at noon. He went out again at 3 o'clock. He went out again at 5 o'clock. Are you all following me? Every time, come on, every time he said, I'm going to do what's right. You go work for me, I'm going to do what's right. You go work for me, I'm going to do what's right. You go work for me, I'm going to do what's right. Can I just say this to you today? Here's one thing we know that God says to everybody in this world, I am am the God of the universe, and I will do what's right. Folks, you can count on that. You want to count on something today? You want to bank on a promise today from God that should encourage you, that should carry you through the next week? It's this. Whatever is just, whatever is right, God is going to do it. And it's a tough time to look at that when we face certain things in our lives that are, make that truth questionable. So what do you do when life seems to be treating you unfair? You first of all rest in what we know. What do we know? We know who God is always good. We know God is always faithful. We know God is always just. And whatever is right, God is always going to do. In other words, I love it like this. God is never going to do you wrong. Now, we know this from this text because God is providing for us an illustration of what it means to be saved. No place in the Word or anywhere in the world will you find a greater demonstration of God's justice, of God doing the right thing, of God caring for His people as when God saved us all. And I want you to see how this played out in this story. First of all, we see that God seeks us out faithfully. Did you notice in the text, the workers were not looking for the manager. The manager was looking for the workers. I got news for you, friend. There is none that seek after God. There's nobody that finds or seeks out God on their own. Frankly, there's nobody who wants to seek God out on their own. Here's the truth. God, I did not come looking for God in salvation. God came looking for me. I love the old gospel song, He Came to Me. When I could not come to where he was, he came to me. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that God's great hand reached down for you wherever you were and found you and rescued you? You weren't even looking for a rescuer, but the rescue team came anyways. Some of you remember Bruce Fry. He's a gospel singer and a tremendous story of salvation. He used to play and uh, he used to actually play guitar player for Hank Williams Jr. back in the 80s and he was just a just a real uh, party animal and and just had this crazy lifestyle God rescued him he wrote his first gospel album and it was called that was me that was me and it's a testimony and it, it, it's it, it's an amazing song the very last part of the song kind of like the very end he says I had a friend come by and see me see me and he said to me, I heard you found the Lord. And he replied in the song, the Lord wasn't lost. That was me. Somebody help me up here. Are you kidding me? 
God wasn't lost. You weren't looking for God. You were lost, and God came looking for you. So God seeks us out faithfully. And watch this. God seeks us out individually. Think about this. Think about that he came out at 6 o'clock, and some were ready. He came out at 9 o'clock, and some were not ready. He came out at noon, and some were ready. He came out at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and some were ready. And then one final time, he came out at 5 o'clock, and yet some were not ready till then. Well, I got to tell you, I'm thankful for every single person that gets saved whenever, wherever, and however God saves them. But how many of you understand that God's works and God's ways and salvation are unique I mean, I thank God that he's saving my children. Both of my older children were saved when they were children. My wife was saved when she was a child. I was saved when I was 19 years old. Some of you were saved later in life when you were there toward the end. I've led people to Christ in this church and baptized them that would be in the senior years of their lives. And folks, some of us get saved at 3 o'clock in the morning. Some of us get saved at 6 o'clock in the morning. Some of us get saved at noon. Some of us get saved, come on, at 5 p.m. just before the day is over and the whole day they may have been standing around idle not paying attention to the masters anybody follow me here I'm talking about not paying attention not caring and guess what at the five o'clock hour the master still swooped in and saved them at the last hour I thank God that he's saving people as he will when he will and where he will and I don't know where you were I don't know how old you were but I thank God that it may have been noontime in my life's clock when he picked me up, and you ought to be thankful if you were saved as a kid. You ought to be thankful it came at the first hour of the day. If you got saved later in life, you ought to be thankful. It doesn't matter if you were saved when you were six or 66. It was God's grace that brought you in. God's grace. He seeks us out individually. Here's the fact. I wasn't ready to be saved when I was six. God had to get a hold of my heart. You may have been ready to be saved when you were a kid. Praise God. But there are different ways and different times that God seeks out people to rescue them. And you need to be thankful for that. It means God cares enough about you to come to you just when you need him most. And here's the real question. How can the guy, watch this, I love this. How can the guy who signed up at 6 o'clock be frustrated with the guy that signed up at 5 o'clock p.m.? When they all came the same way and none of them ever even deserved it. God seeks us out faithfully. God seeks us out individually. God saves anyone who is willing. He goes out and makes this appeal. I'm glad to tell you today that God is a willing to save anyone who would believe. Folks, I've read this Bible so many times I've lost count. And i got to tell you, I see a God who opens up the front door of heaven. And that front door is open up very, very, very wide. Come on. There is a welcome mat on the front door of heaven that says, whosoever will, let him come. And i got to tell you, friend, I will issue that statement to everybody here today. The welcome mat of heaven is rolled out for you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Anybody that believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And then he goes on to say this. God will faithfully reward his workers. The parable says that when they all got done with their work, God made sure to be good on his word and take care of them where they were. That's where the problem came in. 
The problem came in because those that had been working all day were frustrated at those who came in at the end. But here's what God's saying. It doesn't matter when you came in, I will take care of you. Folks, listen. God is not unjust to fail to see the work that you've done for him. If you are here today and you are faithfully serving God, I am here to tell you, there is the promise of a reward that is coming and it is based upon what Christ has done for you and how you have followed him by faith. God indiscriminately, watch this, passionately, ravishly pours out his grace on undeserving sinners and then after he saves us, he enlists us in the greatest privilege of all, serving him. We get to work in his field. We get to labor in his vineyard. And he makes a promise, I'm going to take care of you when this is all said and done. That day for us is the day called the, the judgment seat of Christ. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we come in on that foundation, as the Bible says, and we build upon that foundation either gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. And the Bible says that day will manifest the work and declare it. And God will sort out the work of what manner it was. And every man's work which abides shall be rewarded, but that which is burned away, he will be saved yet so as by fire. There is this day coming where God faithfully rewards those who serve him. And I just want to say this, there are blessings in this life to be sure. Jesus said that in the last chapter, but hear me, friend. Your greatest reward is in a life yet to come. And if you're not okay with that, you're not going to serve God very long. I'm sorry, you may have read the book and think it's the greatest thing in the world, but I'm here to tell you, your best life is not now. I remember sitting in a group of pastors one day, and it was a, kind of a unique meeting where they were sharing some things that had... That, that were going, that, that were tough. And I was in the meeting, and I shared some things that were tough in that meeting. It was about 50 of us. I was hearing the stories of things that these pastors had gone through. And I remember we got to this one guy, I didn't know him, but he shared some struggles he's had with his, his own family, his church, some of the battles back and forth. And I'll never forget this. He said, he looked up at the moderator and he said, you know what's keeping me going? It's the fact that I've had to settle that in this life, I do not have my final resting place and my final reward. He said, I've just decided and know that it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a battle. And that ultimately I lay my burdens down at heaven. Folks, that's why today you have to continue faithfully serving God and not giving up because your reward is not ultimately going to be in this life. Now, you're not going to hear me downplay serving God here. It's the best life. It's a great life. I love it. And I'm going to continue to do it. But I'm here to tell you it's always also an imperfect life filled with battles, filled with struggles, filled with sorrows, filled with toils and snares and dangers. And I'm telling you, we've got to keep our eyes on the prize of our Lord Jesus Christ and know that one day he's already promised us that he is going to reward us. So when life seems to be treating us unfairly, we first of all, we rest in what we know. But secondly, I love this, we accept who is in control. Now verse 8, so when evening come, the owner of the vineyard called his servants, his steward first of all. The person overseeing the finances. 
Call the laborers and give them their, laid, their wages beginning with the last to the first. And those who came in, who were hired about the 11th hour came, they received a denarius. Now, now if you go back up to verse number 1 and 2, he told the guys at 6 a.m. they were going to get a denarius. Now, a denarius is uh, one day's wages uh, in that day. So whatever that day was. I mean, let's say today it's $100 a day for a common labor or whatever the case may be. That, that's what it was. What you would expect to get for working a full day work on an hourly wage, that's what a denarius was. So now, the guys that come in at the 11 o'clock hour, right, they receive the full pay as the guys at 6 a.m. did. Now remember, back in verses 1 through 7, he never told them what he was going to pay them. He just said, I will give you what is right. So now the money starts coming out. Now, just try to imagine this in your mind. This is... These are migrant workers harvesting a crop. Time is of the essence. So when he keeps going back out, getting new workers, it's because if he doesn't get that harvest in on that day, it's going to fail. So to the the manager, he needed them. So, I mean, you can imagine like, like... like in, in, a, in an agricultural society, it's true in America today. I know when I lived in California, there were many farms like this where migrant workers would line up outside of a farm and literally wait until the farmer came out and hired each one of them. So you can imagine this. You can see these, these, these people, they live on this daily wage. They go out to this particular area and they, they get called into work. Well, these guys who didn't get hired in the first part of the morning are just kind of hanging around. They don't have a job for the day. They're not going to be paid. So the guy comes back out, and he scoops them back in. The first people may have thought they weren't that important, but listen very carefully. They were very important to the farmer. And so these people get upset. Watch this now. They say in verse 11, they complained against the landowner, saying, These men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Folks, this is so important for Christians that have been Christians for a long time or Christians who somehow think God owes you something. And when you think God owes you something, which means you're not sitting at the table of grace, you're going to start complaining against the master like he's supposed to do something you think he's supposed to do for you. Now, when these guys come complaining to the master, this is beautiful, the master turns around And asks them three questions. And these three questions are to remind you of who is in control. Friend, when you are troubled or you're struggling, you better remind yourself of who is in control. Notice what he says here. Verse 13. Question, friend, I'm not doing you any wrong. Here it is, first question. Did not you agree with me for one denarius? Here's the first question. You knew from the beginning what this was all about. Didn't we agree to this? What is he saying? I'm just. I'm just. I'm righteous. I didn't do you wrong. You signed up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I paid you fairly. No wrongdoing here. Now look at the second question. I love this one. This is great. Number two, verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do What I wish with my own things. God is sovereign. He may have said it like this. Is this your barn? Are these your apples? Or grapes, I guess, in this case. Is this your vineyard? Is it... Is this your wagon that I picked all you clowns up in and brought you to work today? Is this your business? Are you the one calling the shots here? 
Somebody better help me up here and be glad that when it comes to who's sitting on the throne of the universe, it's not you. Friend, God is in control. God is ruling the affairs of this world. And God can do with his stuff whatever he wants to do. And then the final question, do you have an evil eye because I'm generous? That's kind of a weird thing to say. What does that even mean, evil eye? Well, it's an idiom. It's a Greek idiom that basically means envious or jealous. So let me say it another way. Are you envious because I'm generous? Last time I checked, folks, we were supposed to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. If God blesses somebody else in a promotion at work, the right attitude is this. God, thank you for that. Thank you for them. God, thank you for the job I do have. When you get diagnosed with something that that's scary and frightening and debilitating, you know what you can say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I didn't deserve the health that I had. I didn't deserve the life that I had. Come on. I didn't deserve to wake up today and be on my own two feet and have my mental faculties together. Anybody listen to me today? I didn't have to not be in a hospital today. I didn't have to not be treated so good, but God did. And if God continues to do that, blessed be his name. If he doesn't, blessed be his name because I'm not going to get jealous or envious because God's good to everybody else. Are you kidding me? He's been far better to me already than I would have ever dreamed or imagined in my life life. You going to get jealous because God's generous? Man, my family's struggling. Why God? My family fell apart. Why God? It's okay to talk to God. It's okay to go to God. It's okay to struggle with God. But it's not okay to question the goodness of God as it relates to others because of something that I am going through. Becoming jealous or envious towards someone else is dangerous. Here's the bottom line, folks. What is this text really about? It's really about God reaching down to a broken world and the broken world recognizing that they are broken and in turn are genuinely thankful because they don't deserve it. And it turns into an atmosphere not of competition, jealousy, envy, or spite. It turns into an atmosphere of celebration and grace because we all know we don't deserve it. So the next person that walks in the door, we just thank God because they didn't deserve it either. And I didn't deserve it either. And they didn't deserve it either. We all were reached by God. And therefore, gratitude is the result. I read a powerful story recently of a doctor who had to perform a very delicate surgery on a young bride's face. She had a tumor just behind her cheek, and in this surgery, it was incredibly delicate. It was incredibly risky. The woman had only been married just about a year in her 20s. And unfortunately, through the, the high-risk surgery, the doctor nicked a particular nerve that made the young bride's face slump like she had palsy and really completely changed the way that she looked. The doctor told the story that he was in the hospital room when the young woman woke up and he stood at the foot of the bed 
in the bed was the young woman who's just realizing something is different. Right beside of the woman is her husband, her young 23-year-old husband who's holding her hand and is smiling gently into her face when she wakes up. And with half of a working face, she looks at the doctor and says, is it always going to be like this? And the doctor said, yes. Unfortunately, it's always going to be like this. The young husband squeezed his wife's hand and leaned in to her and said, well, I think it's okay. I think it's kind of cute. It's going to be okay. The doctor then writes, at that moment, I felt like God himself rushed into the room. When I watched the husband after saying that lean in, contort his own face to make his lips match hers. And he leaned in with a crooked kiss and kissed his broken bride on the lips. And I'm here to tell you something, friend. We are all that bride we are permanently disfigured and deformed and crushed and broken and flattened in our sin. And yet the God of the universe 2,000 years ago, come on, he leaned in to our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And on that cross, he issued out a crooked kiss so that his lips could meet his bride's lips. And he brought in to a family those who couldn't get in on their own. That's where we say today, is God fair? Of course he's not fair. Of course not, life's not fair. But that's what grace is for. Let's pray together. Today I hope and pray that you will be able to see Life for the way God sees it. The way life works out is not always fair. But God will always do what's right. It doesn't seem fair to us because of the way that we interpret what is good and what is right. How many of you would say this, preacher, I needed to hear that today. God needed to remind me because sometimes I struggle. And I needed to hear that today. Would you lift your hand with mine and say, I needed that today. God reminded me of that. Praise his name. Doesn't always feel fair, does it? My goodness. Some things are just tough. But then we realize that the ground is level at the cross. We all come in the same way. And it reminds us that the greatest blessing that ever happened was our salvation. And if God did that for us, how good must he be? How wise, how faithful, how sovereign. Maybe you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior. But today, you'd like to accept him as your Lord and Savior. You can't get to heaven without him. It's not going to happen. But today, you can open up your heart, receive him, call upon his name, believe upon him, trust him. Maybe you've got questions about that, or maybe you'd like to talk to somebody about that. Is there someone here today that say, preacher, I'm not sure about that, but I need you to, would you at least pray for me? I'm not certain about whether or not I know Christ personally as my Savior. I want to know that. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Preacher, would you pray for me? If there's someone like that, 
would you just slip your hand up right now? Would you just do that? Just hold your hand right up, and then you can just lower it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out, but I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Okay, I want you to stand as we go to worship and conclude our service. I'm going to ask us to come. We're going to sing together. I also want to ask, there's about four families this morning joining our church. If you would come to the front here, if you're, uh, I think you're here in the room, if you've committed to join in membership today, I'd like you to come. I'm going to introduce you as we start this song. Just come on down. I'll introduce you.